Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. So today, we have the privilege of hearing Esther Johnstone speak. She is a mother and grandmother in the faith and in our church. She has uh, walked with so many people in our church and, and around the world as people walk the way of Jesus. Throughout her life, she has served Jesus faithfully in a multitude of settings. As a missionary overseas multiple times, as a teacher to children in um, the school system and in our church, as a worship piano player, and she's served several terms on our board of elders. And she's currently um, just started her, her first term uh, just in February. Esther is a lifelong learner who genuinely wants to know Jesus deeper and know what it, wants to know what it looks like to engage with cultural issues with a Jesus-focused mindset. She is a woman I am so delighted to be on mission with together. So let's welcome Esther. Thank you. And perhaps after this morning, you may not think it's such a privilege to hear me speak, but this is actually the third or fourth time that I've spoken to an empty church, or virtually empty. But I can just visualize many of you sitting out here. And of course, it would be easier to speak if you were sitting here. I feel a little bit like what Moses said when God called him, and he said, who am I? Or even Gideon, I am of the least. Or when Greg needed people to speak, step up and bring a message, I, was, I thought I was up for that. In fact, I knew right away that I should speak on 1 Peter, because it was part of the epistles. So here I am with a head full of great info and sermons as I attended the district conference yesterday and Friday. Two days that were packed and wonderful. It was online, of course, so I was sitting at home drinking tea and watching and listening and taking notes. Yesterday morning, there were several outstanding speakers, and I wish that we could have just dove in and transported one of them here this morning. Uh, they even made references to Peter. Well, it turns out, I, if you ask me how I am, I used to say I'm managing, while well, now a new word for me is languishing. And I make reference to this. It was referred to yesterday, and Amy has put that up on our Facebook page. But according to Adam Grant's article in the New York Times, feeling blah during, during the pandemic is you're not burned out, you're not depressed, just somewhat joyless and somber, like actually chronically uh, a case of ADHD. A sense of stagnation and emptiness, muddling through your days, looking your, at your life through a foggy windshield. And I would have to say that's, that's how I'm feeling these days. Not that it's good to stay in that space. And uh, so in the days to come, I'm looking at things that I can do to improve that. 
It was the Last Supper, and Jesus and his twelve were in a large room upstairs that was prepared for the Passover. And Luke 22 tells of several significant happenings of note. One, Jesus told them that one of them would betray him. And that always surprises me. He told them outright, and yet they didn't know who it was. In another passage, it says they questioned, is it me? Lord, is it me? And the second thing, uh, they were actually having a dispute over who was the greatest. Like, of all times, when you look at it, like, who is the greatest in the kingdom? And the third one in that passage in Luke 22, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And isn't that what we need today? Jesus praying for us, and he does. It's promised in Romans 8 that he is praying for us, that our faith may not fail. And it says further, and when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. It actually was just a small reference to what um, Peter was going to do. Peter responded, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And another passage, another gospel says they all sort of said that. And Jesus said to him, Three times you're going to deny me. And after that actually happened, it says that Peter wept bitterly. He knew he had failed his master. So that brings us to what most people think about when they think of Peter. And I have that too. When you say Peter, if I haven't been studying him or talking or thinking about him, I think of, oh yeah, he's the guy that denied Jesus three times. You see, it's easy to remember the misstep. It's easy to forget what he went on and the good. So let's see where your thoughts go. When I say Jonah, you probably think quite quickly about the runaway prophet. But you know what he did? He went on and saved that mammoth, huge city of Nineveh. He spoke like it took a couple days to go through it. It was so large. What do you think of Samson? Yeah, we know he was tri tricked by Delilah. But he actually was a judge there for 20 years. What about Solomon? Well, a lot of people think of his 700 wives and his 300 concubines. And as Phil Calloway has said, I heard a little clip, one of his kids said, man, he must have had a huge bed. But he went on and wrote the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. He built the temple because David wasn't allowed to build it. What about Rahab? We might think, oh, she, yeah, she's the prostitute in Jer Jericho. But she went on and is in the lineage of Jesus. She was Boaz's mom, if you can imagine. And John Mark, yeah, we know he was weak. And the Apostle Paul sent him home. Come on, grow up, kid. You need to mature a little bit. So here, back to Peter. We know from reading about him in the Gospels that he was brash. He was impetuous. He stumbled, just as we all do. But Jesus did not give up on Peter. In fact, 
He was great, Peter's greatest cheerleader. And I think of those in heaven who, it says in a passage in Hebrews, cheering from the rampart, ramparts of heaven. We have a great cloud of witnesses. And I used to think that said a crowd of witnesses. But either way, it's a wonderful thing. We have witnesses of God's power in our lives. And you see, Jesus saw what Peter was, but he also could see into the future. He could see what Peter could become. So that's us too. He, may, he did. He saw you as a baby. He saw you as a child. He saw you as a youth, as an adult. And he sees you today. And he is seeing what you're becoming, what you may not yet be, but every, every day growing. The encounters of Peter with, and Jesus in the gospel and, and in the first 12 chapters of Acts show just how God shaped Peter to become an amazing leader in the early church. He actually, in Acts, it shows how he proposed a replacement for Judas. He wanted 12 apostles or 12 disciples. He performs a healing. He defends the gospel before the Sanhedrin. He decides the case of Ananias and Sapphira, what should happen. And he mediates between James and the Apostle Paul. After his miraculous release from prison, he actually leaves Jerusalem, where James takes the lead in the church in Jerusalem. And he gave himself to missionary work at Antioch, Corinth, and he finally ends up in Rome. Now, Peter, would he want to go back to normal after he saw Jesus' ascension? The comfortable? He, years later, he went and, and he was at, uh, addressed the 12 or the many uh, his Jewish friends scattered throughout modern-day Turkey. He did have a scribe or an editor, Silas or Sylvanus. But his book today that he wrote years later, in his mature years, offers us encouragement and strength for his and our day-to-day. -day. Attitudes to permeate our lives. Rich word to our hearts today. It actually is, at first I thought it was the epistle of suffering, but actually it's the epistle of hope. And Peter, of all ones, could see that. And so in the first thing we see in 1 Peter is praise for a living God. Chapter 1, verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, Peter was there. He saw the resurrection. And you know the story well, I'm sure. Then verse 6, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. <laughs> no, maybe that's us today. Do we feel like you're suffering in grief? In all kinds of trials? Um, he goes on to say that it will prove the genuineness of your faith. Peter goes on to affirm them 
and us in our identity as chosen, precious, the royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, called out of darkness into light. I hope that's the story of us and how we sense those things in our lives. Not only did he praise for a living God, number two, he live out this hope. Chapter 2, verse 12b, live such good lives among unbelievers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Chapter 2, verse 13, submit or yield to human authority. I know it's controversial these days. Submit or yield to human authority. We can pray, and as the Apostle Paul said in some of his epistles, pray for those in authority over you. So instead of criticizing our governments and our provincial governments and our people that are representing us, pray for them. And as never before, we should be praying for them in our society these days as it's so uh, secular now and so many things are coming at us and bombarding us. Chapter 2, verse 20b says, But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. It really struck me of doing good. Like, what good am I doing? What good can I do these days? And maybe we should think about that and dwell on that. Chapter 3, verse 15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have but do this with gentleness and respect. In our language today, we'd say not defensively. Be more and more open and ready. When people criticize you, when they may call you names, when they try to bully you. And Peter knew about peer pressure. Look at chapter 4, verse 4. They are surprised that you do not join them on their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. Peer pressure. Then the third one, suffer for their hope. Yes, chapter 4, verse 12 talks about a fiery trial. 4, 13 says, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. He would have seen the suffering Christ did for all of us on Calvary. But suffering, frankly, what do we know about suffering? Not to shame you or to say there are others worse off than you, so shape up. But think of the hundreds of thousands of refugees the world over who are in camps. And I think of the mothers and fathers that must just grieve and bleed because they cannot provide the necessities of life. I think of those dragged off to prison, although I can only read about them, uh, with trumped-up charges when it's really because they are Christians. Those in Turkey, those in China, many other countries that we know so little about. At Peter's time, it was with uh, Claudius and then Nero, who actually burned Rome. And at this point, uh, Paul and Peter are both in Rome. And they actually used their Colosseum for entertainment. Persecution, 
was breaking out all over. So in the Colosseum, they had these bloody gladiator battles. Humans against wild animals, executions. And they just would watch and clap. If you've seen some of the movies, it brings it home quite dramatically. And it was in Rome that Paul was beheaded and Peter was crucified. And it said in history, it says that he asked to be crucified upside down because he did not feel worthy. So Peter ends the epistle with directions or directives, of which I will only mention two. Chapter 5, verse 7 says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all your brokenness, all your tiredness, all your exhaustion, all your weariness from COVID. Another version says, pour out all your worries and stress upon him and leave them there. Chapter 5, verse 8 says, be alert. The devil prowls, resist him. And I don't know if you actually read or picked up the momentum. David Hearn gives out, I think it's monthly, this little brochure that is like a blog, but it's written and it's fantastic. But he says in, in his one on April, in April, during this season with so much chaos and confusion being caused by the pandemic, it is increasingly difficult to be alert. It is easy to let your guards down and be less vigilant around what we watch, what we read, and the, we play, the places we allow our minds to go to. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. They were going with the flow of culture rather than proclaiming the unique and distinct nature of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And Jesus says, like, wake up. So he tells a story of a sighting there in a city of Greece in which Cyrus came against the city in 549 BC. And he couldn't actually make it into the city, but he had his soldiers all around. And one, of, one night, one of his Cyrus's soldiers observed a guard standing on the wall. And as he peered over the wall, his helmet fell. And the soldier watched as the guard went down a set of stairs, opened a secret door, and retrieved his helmet. With one ill-considered action, the guard had given Cyrus the key to taking the city. So he went on, of course, to take the city. All of us has pla have places where we are vulnerable. Some of the saddest conversations, David Hearn goes on to say, I've had are with believers who made decisions that opened the door for the wrecking ball of Satan to destroy their lives. Often I hear the same lament, I never saw it coming. But it started with one small compromise so what he says is, where am I most vulnerable to compromise? Where have I begun to be careless in my thoughts or behavior? Living in a long-term crisis can be exhausting, and the temptation toward spiritual drowsiness is high. Now more than ever, we must remain vigilant, or we can end up invaded. Yes, 
And this past week, I actually had just a small thing that I had done. But I, I told, thought, I have to take care of that little thing. Or I won't be able to stand before the church and give this message. Or I would just be saying, Satan, actually. not God doesn't condemn us, but condemnation would have been poured upon me. I had to go to my brother and ask him to forgive me, which he did, thank the Lord. So chapter 5, verse 10 says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And those of you that have heard my, some of my life story know that that verse was one that was very instrumental <clears throat> in bringing me back on track. And I had suffered, I wouldn't say just a little while, I had suffered a great deal. But God himself will restore us and make us strong, firm, and steadfast. And Peter knew that from his own life. He knew that. You know, Michelangelo had that huge uh, hunk of marble to carve. And when he looked at it, he had the eyes of an artist. And he could see, as he sculpted David, and if you go to Italy, you can see the sculpting of Michelangelo's David. You see, God is like that. He sees our best selves, and he calls it out. So friends, take heart. Even though you may feel like me, languishing a bit, give your anxieties to him. Lay them before him. Go deeper with Jesus. He hasn't given up on you. And then be very alert. He took Jonah and saved an entire huge city. He took Samson and redeemed his life. He took Solomon, and we have two amazing uh, books of the Bible. He took Rahab. He took John Mark. He took Peter. And so even as Michelle's uh, message from last week, wake up, women, arise, men, and now you can be part of a victorious chapter in your own memoirs. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you'd like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.